I'm not a tall person. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't expect it would be it would be so tall. I didn't think so either. Yeah, okay. but thank you. Well, good evening. It's a it's a privilege to be here. Uh, it was a it's also oh no there's a ledge. That's good. Um, it was a fun drive up. It was a privilege to be able to gather together at the church. Uh, I really enjoyed that time before we left, gathering around in a big circle and just seeing all the all the staffers and all the parents coming together and praying for for you all for us all during this time uh, it was just a reminder to me of just how how much we need the lord to be at work during this time and how much people there how many people there are caring caring for you and seeking to uh, to build into your life during this week it's a great privilege that i have to be able to be here um uh, we are going to be starting in Jeremiah 17 tonight. So before before we start, I want to begin with a silly exercise. I would like, if you would, to to think for yourself and imagine yourself as a plant. Just, just close your eyes and picture yourself and picture yourself as a plant. What kind of plant do you imagine yourself to be? What kind of plant do you imagine yourself to be? Maybe you pictured a sunflower or, or a rose, uh, maybe a stalk of wheat is what comes to mind. Uh, maybe, maybe you thought of a tree of some kind, uh, maybe like a redwood or, or uh, a cherry blossom, a fruit tree, some, some sort of oak tree, maybe something sturdy, something delicate, something useful. How do you, how do you think of yourself? is the question. Do you imagine yourself as flourishing, bearing lots of fruit, perhaps a bit dry, a bit withered? How do you think of yourself? What are you trying? What are you hoping to be? How do you, how do you think that others think of you? How do you want others to think of you? How do you present yourself to others? Those are some of the questions that I want us to be thinking about, that we'll be talking about during this week that we have together. More specifically, we're going to be talking about something called the fear of man. The fear of man. And this is not maybe, you can open your eyes, by the way, Javen. I see you with your eyes closed. You've got the sleeping cap on. Luke said I can call you out. So just going to keep you honest. We're done with the imagining. <laughs> Moving past that. Um, so it's not just being afraid of people. We, when we hear fear of man, we shouldn't just think being afraid of people. It's bigger than that. It's a universal experience that I can say everyone in this room has experienced and does experience. It's, we're talking about living to please people. We're talking about peer pressure and the effects that it has in our lives. And I want to start tonight by sort of defining what this means and trying to help you to see how, how relevant and how important it is, it is for you. And over the course of our week, hopefully try to build some ideas into your head about how to think about yourself, how to think about others properly. Um, Luke allowed me to select the topic that I'll be speaking about, so he doesn't really know what I'll be saying. He trusts me, hopefully. Uh, but uh, I, I did get to choose the topic. And uh, I chose it because I have a burden for you. Um, I, I know that the influence of other people's opinions is strong. And I think especially so 
if I may say so, in your age group. I, I speak as a person who has struggled with the fear of man for a good portion of my life. And uh, my hope during our time together is to be real with y'all and help us together to approach God's word and to, to have, have a right view of ourselves. Um, because I do know what it's like to be overly aware of what other people's view of me is. Um, ironically, oh the irony, preparing a bunch of messages about fearing the Lord and not worrying about what other people think of you and constantly thinking about what all these TYGers will think of me. Uh, I won't say that didn't happen. Uh, I sought the Lord to, to not think about what you will think of me. And I'm hoping that, that our time together will focus on, on, on what, what God thinks of us. Um, and I can tell you that the fear of man can be a crippling thing. It can be a harmful thing. Fear pressure can, can push you into circumstances and push you into making choices that, that you never thought you'd make. And it leads to a roller coaster of a life um, that, just won't, that just won't let up. And so we're going to have two main simple points this morning, uh, evening, isn't it? It's evening. Fear of man is a curse. Fearing the Lord is a blessing. All right? Let's pray together one more time, and then we'll read the passage. Dear God, we just want to thank you once more for this opportunity. What a joy it is to be able to be a part here in this beautiful camp and out in the wilderness and to enjoy time together worshiping you opening our hearts to your word, uh, enjoying fellowship together. God, would you speak to us in your word? Would you be exalted in our time? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 17, starting from verse 5, says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen. So we're going to look at that in two parts. First, the fear of man is a curse. And second, uh, the fear of the Lord is a blessing. So fear of the man. What fear of the man? Fear of man. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about what fear is. And so some of it is good and some of it is not so good. Uh, you might be familiar with Proverbs 1.7. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of yeah, or knowledge, says my says the ESV, but wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fearing God results in wisdom. It's the beginning, he says, of wisdom. Another one, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God, with all your hearts and with all your soul. And so it says there the fear, we see all these phrases in, in parallel, right? It says, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, love the Lord, 
uh, walk in his ways. All those things are, are similar ideas, uh, compounding words to talk about a similar thing. You might normally think that fear and love are sort of in opposition to each other. Like someone that says, I, I fear heights, doesn't normally also say, I love heights. <laughs> those usually don't go at the same time, right? A fear of heights is opposite of love of heights. But here he says, fear the Lord. What I mean by that is love the Lord. <laughs> those are two words for the same thing. And so we, we learn from, from studying all that the Bible has to say about fear is that it's not what we normally think of when we think of fear. Fear is not just cowering uh, like into a corner uh, saying, oh, I'm afraid of God. I'm not too sure what he's going to do with me. That's not the fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord, it, it means something more like faith. It's reverence, awe, uh, love for God. We see who God is. We see who we are, we humble ourselves before him, we submit to him, we trust in him. He's the one that gets our awe, our respect, our love, our allegiance, our devotion, our confidence, our trust. That's this broader concept of, of fearing the Lord. Does that make sense? Yes. And so fear of man is similar. Uh, it's, it's taking that same concept, this broader picture of, of fear, and, and applying it to people. Rather than thinking of God that way, that he gets our confidence, our awe, our love, our trust, our devotion, our allegiance, we instead give that to people. We treat people that way. Now, the Bible doesn't use the phrase, this is kind of a common Christian phrase, the fear of man. That The Bible doesn't really use the phrase fear of man that many times. In the ESV, it only shows up once, and that's in Proverbs 29. There it says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so again, just to point out, fear, fear of man is in parallel to uh, trust. Fear of man is like trust. Uh, rather than trusting God, you, you trust in people. So uh, the fear of man, it looks appealing. People, people seem like they can supply our needs. We look around us, and we, we think that people are worthy of our trust, worthy of our admiration, worthy of our confidence. But it says it's a snare. In, in the words of one famous uh, Star Wars general, it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Admiral Akbar said that once. And uh, it's a trap. Fear of man is a trap. Uh, it, it, this concept... Even though the, the phrase fear of man doesn't show up much, the concept shows up a lot in, in the Bible. And so we're not just talking about being afraid of people. We're not just talking about a person who gets bullied and who walks home from school and checks, checks behind him every few steps. Like, is the guy chasing me or not? That's one kind of fear of man. But that's not the only kind of fear of man. Fear of man is also the bully. He's also suffering from the fear of man because he beats up other kids to prop up his view of himself to show how great he is because he craves the worship of other people he seeks their acceptance through through their cowering in fear that's also fear of man by fear of man we mean this same awe reverence worship almost allegiance confidence trust put in other people. You could say it this way, we value other people's opinion of us rather than God's opinion of us. That's the fear of man. 
And so how many of the how many of us do you think this affects? Can raise your hand? All of us. This affects every single one of us. Um, some people call it self-esteem. Some people call it peer pressure. If you get older and you're an adult, people start calling it codependency. It gets a fancier name. These are all the same thing. This is fear of man. This is people-pleasing. There's a book. Uh, there's an author. His name is Ed Welch. He wrote a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's a great book. Uh, I learned it helped me a lot in my thinking through this concept. And we're going to reference bits of it here and there, but uh, not steal the thunder so that you can still read it. I didn't take too many of his concepts. Too many of his, I didn't say it the same way he did. But there, there's three main concepts that he, he talks about, three different kinds of fear. Um, he talks about shame fear, rejection fear, and threat fear as like the three main different kinds of fear that we're going to walk through. But he gives some examples of what it looks like. Just putting some flesh on it. What does it look like for fear of man? He says it can look like peer pressure. Talked about that. It can look like being overcommitted. Like you never know how to say no when people ask for your help. Uh, Self-esteem, either very high or very low. Imposter syndrome. Always second-guessing your decisions. Feeling empty or or meaningless. Uh, Lying. Especially small, white lies to protect your, your, the view that other people have of you. Uh, jealousy can look like anger, can look like depression. It can look like avoiding people. Uh, it can be the way you diet. It can be feeling successful, feeling like you've arrived in life. Uh, there's many different ways that the fear of man can show itself. Um, and, but it, it all boils down to how we view other people, how they view us. And so we'll look at these three, three categories. Shame, fear is the first one. Shame. Shame is the feeling of embarrassment when people find out something about us that we really didn't want them to know. Shame is that feeling of embarrassment. When they find out something about us, we wish that they did not know. Uh, sometimes we feel uh, shame from pride. right? It's just other people thinking of us negatively. We, we feel this way for, for silly, superficial things that happen, not really substantial things about us, things that are not inherently shameful. We only feel shame about them because of our pride. For example, it's like your first day of school. Imagine you're walking up the steps, you're happy to be at school, and then you slip on a banana peel and you just fall miserably. Like your backpack just shreds into pieces. All your books are like all on the ground. Your shoes somehow end up on the roof. And just everyone is laughing at you the whole day long. You get a new nickname, Slipsy McSlipsalots or something. Like everyone calls you that for the, for the rest of the school year. What do you feel? Shame. You feel shame. Is it because you did something wrong? No. It's because of pride, right? That's just because of pride. We feel silly about something we did. Or maybe you, you feel like you're a pretty smart kid, right? Uh, everyone compliments you, but you're struggling quite a lot in pottery class <laughs> or maybe history or something, and you, you refuse to ask for help because no one can know. No one can know that I struggle with some things. Or maybe you consider yourself not a very smart kid, and you don't really even try to get good grades. You just kind of crack jokes in class and laugh 
all the time and mock other kids maybe and laugh at people working hard because what do you feel? Shame. All these things are, are, are similar, man, different manifestations of, of a similar heart condition. Uh, we can do this at church too, by the way. The one who knows the Bible verses the most, the best. The one who plays the music the best. Uh, we can find all sorts of ways to, to compare ourselves with others. There was once, there's one time I remember, still etched in my memory. Uh, when we were in college, there was like this men's conference at our church, this old, our old church in Berkeley. And uh, there was a competition at one point where all the guys, like we stood up in front and we were walking through the, the books of the Old Testament and we had to like name something, name a person or an event from that book of the Bible. The details are not important. It got to me, and I got First Samuel, and I was like, oh, I'm going to choose a cool event, uh, Davidic Covenant, which is not in First Samuel, by the way. That's in Second Samuel. And my, our, there was the judge, was my pastor, and like the guest speaker was sitting over here, and they were the judge of like deciding whether or not people were right. And I remember as soon as I said First Samuel, and just the look on his face, I'm like, no. <laughs> is burned into my memory forever and I still feel bad like why did I say that <laughs> but just that that desire to put ourselves forward and the silly feeling of embarrassment just because of pride okay uh, high esteem high self-esteem low self-esteem the problem with both is that they're focused on self being esteemed and lifted up okay so that's uh, pride shame we could also think of sin shame Sin is another kind of shame that we feel. Um, I have, we, we can say, all we can say, we should say, that I have done things that I should not have done, right? And I feel shameful for, for those things that I've done in the past, in my life. I've said things that should not be said. I've thought things that I should not have thought. Been places, watched things, should not have done. And as you, as you reflect on, on your, your choices and, and sin in your life, it produces a feeling of, of shame, right? Shame says, nobody can know about this. And so sometimes we, we choose to, to, to lie, sneak, hide those activities. Not because we think that they're bad. We, we want to keep doing them. Even though we feel ashamed, we hide it, but we keep doing it. That's shame. Part of that is your conscience at work, right? We're supposed to feel shameful about sin because sin is wrong. And God gave us a conscience to feel that shame because it is an offense to God. It does make us hide our face. But that is supposed to lead us to repentance, not, not to hide it. Uh, that shame is supposed to have an effect. It's, it's worse to not feel any shame, to sin brazenly, uh, to have a seared conscience, the Bible says. That, that's not better. Uh, shame is the right feeling for sin. But the point is that sometimes it leads us to the fear of man and we hide it so that we can continue. So that's another form, sin shame. Another way that people feel shame, uh, you might call it being a victim. When people are sinned against, that can also produce a great amount of shame. You know, not everyone grows up in a happy family that goes to church, right? Um, not everyone grows up in a family that cares for their children. Many of us come from broken families. And 
many kids grow up in an atmosphere of abuse, physically or worse. I don't know, all of you, maybe some here. And that can produce shame, a feeling of shame. Um, I, I've read that many people report, after having been experienced that, that sort of abuse, it produces a sense of, of guilt. Many, many, many say that they feel like they deserved it. And that that feeling of shame can be intense and cause other ramifications in life, can lead to fear of man. So this is, this is shame, right? This, this can produce fear, shame, fear. People will see the real me. I will be exposed. Uh, they will not think of me the way that I want them to think of me. That's shame. Next one is rejection. Rejection fear is the second kind. It's similar, but slightly different. Uh, rejection fear is the fear of <clears throat> being rejected. It's sort of, it's a bit self-evident. Uh, it's, it's more of like the consequence it's similar to shame in that the sh fear of shame is also a fear that people will see me this way and then reject me because I am that way. But the focus is here is on the consequences. We fear being isolated. We fear being cut out of the group. We fear not belonging. We fear being an outcast. We fear being a loner. I was the loner. <laughs> I was absolutely a loner uh, in middle school and much of high school. Um, but that's... We, we don't like that. We, we fear that. That's rejection fear. Saying, flipping it around and saying it the opposite way, we, we, we crave affirmation, don't we? We crave approval, praise, acceptance, worth. We want people to like us. Pretty simple. We want people to like us. We want to be part of the in crowd. And this could look like someone chasing approval, or it could look like someone always by themselves. They refuse to even try to be with people because they're so afraid of, of how they will, that no one will accept them, so that they've given up trying. We just talked about families. I think family backgrounds have a lot of impact here. Uh, I mentioned mine a little bit, but I, my dad left when I was about nine years old. Uh, so I grew up with my mom. I have an older brother, younger sister. Uh, my mom passed away when I was in college. So I was already grown up by then. But have some experience of, of a broken family life, um, partly due to sin, partly due to, to suffering. Um, but I think that the baggage that we have from our upbringing can have a huge impact on us. I think it has an especially large impact on us in this concept of approval and acceptance and rejection. Um, I think it, it, it can be a trial in our lives. And we need to learn to set that baggage aside as we look to Christ, because that does not define us forever. That's a, an event in your past, and it will affect you, but we can look to Christ for it. It does not define us. If you could turn with me to the book of John. You've got your Bibles. John chapter 12. I wanted us to see an example of this from the Pharisees. John 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, believed in Jesus, that is. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here we have a real-life example from the Pharisees. Uh, They believed. There were some that actually believed, air quotes on believed, in Jesus. Like they knew who he was. They knew that they were standing in the presence of the Messiah, the promised Savior of Israel that that Israel had been waiting for 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 so long. He was finally here, and they knew that this was probably the guy, but they refused to believe in him, to confess that he was the Messiah, to join him and follow him because, and he tells us their motives even, because they loved the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. That's remarkable. That in that's how strong it can be. In the presence of the Messiah, they didn't confess him because they were afraid of people, because they loved glory, praise, acceptance from man. And all too often, we too are driven by this. We are driven by uh, acceptance. We want glory. We say, God, if you wouldn't mind just sitting over on the side, I'd like to sit there. That throne looks real nice. I think I'll sit on it. Maybe it's being a perfectionist. Maybe it's being competitive. And nothing is good enough. Because you seek glory. And you keep putting higher and higher demands on yourself. Maybe you stay in a dating relationship that's not honoring to God. Because you crave the acceptance that you feel from them. Maybe you have a godly interest in someone, but you're deathly afraid that they don't like you back. This is how I spent most of my adolescence, minus the godly interest. Maybe family life is hard, and you seek affirmation from your peers, from someone older, from the wrong crowd, because they, quote, understand you. Maybe you thrive off the friendships that you've established. Maybe you feel starving for lack of friendships. You haven't found the friendships you're looking for. All of these things are connected to what we might call rejection fear. Okay? Let's move on to the last one, threat fear. Threat fear is the one that we think of more naturally when we think of fear. The fear of being hurt. Uh, The fear of danger, harm from people. Uh, You might say this is actually a good thing. (laughs) In some ways, it's right. If someone is holding a gun to you, Fear is the right feeling to have, right? (laughs) There are some streets in San Francisco you should not walk down for fear. And that's a good, like, that's right. That's the right feeling to have. Uh, This turns into wrong thing. I was telling some people on the drive up, we were talking about Jurassic Park. I watched Jurassic Park growing up and lived for years in fear that velociraptors were going to start chasing me down the streets towards my house whenever I checked the mail. Like, walking to the mailbox was fine, but walking down from the mailbox back to my house, that's when they were going to sneak around the corner and, like, chase me. And so I would literally look back and check for velociraptors for years. (laughs) Scary movie. But uh, that's, like, wrong threat fear. We take circumstances and we blow them up to be bigger than they really are and not even real, not even connected to reality. There are no velociraptors. 
minus Jeff's costume. I don't know if that's even Velociraptor, sorry. Um, but threat fear is that feeling of danger when it becomes consuming. It also becomes a danger when it, when it stops you from obedience. It might stop you from loving people or stop you from, from serving God, from obeying God. We, uh, on Sundays at church, right, we've been learning from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse uh, 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so it talks about the reality that we, as we follow Christ faithfully, there will be people who may seek to do us harm. There will be circumstances where it will put us in harm's way to love someone, to bring the gospel to someone, to be faithful to Jesus. And when that fear of danger to us stops us from following Christ, uh, from being faithful, when it becomes debilitating, that's what we might call threat fear. Okay, so those are like three categories to put in your brain that we're going to be talking about a bit more, try to come back to them and keep arranging our, our, our minds around these things. When we think of fear of, man, fear of man, these are the things that I think help us define it. hope that paints a broader picture. It's not just fear, but it's, it's all these things. It's finding comfort, meaning, peace, joy, safety in people and in their view of you. Okay, so with that broader view in mind, let's come back to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Now I know it says trusts, and we're talking about fear. But remember, broader concepts, same idea. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When we trust in man, when we do these things, we are finding our strength, meaning, and purpose, allegiance in people. That is, he says, turning your heart away from the Lord. It's like you're saying, God, if you could just be quiet for a second. My friend Bobby here has got something real important to say. Just... Hold on, God, I want to listen to Bobby. <laughs> and it's, it's turning away from God and putting someone else in his place. And he says that this invites the curse of God. Cursed is the man or woman who fears man, who trusts in man. It invites the curse of God. On the one hand, because it's turning away from him. It's, it's rejecting him. It's sin, and it invites his wrath, his anger, his curse. It's also, I want to mention, it's also a curse because it's just foolish. It just doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Living your life to please people, to meet their expectations, is a life of slavery. It's slavery of a sort. And it it just, it doesn't work. It's like leaning against a stalk of of grass. It's not going to support you. It's, it's a roller coaster. People are not meant to support that weight. Uh, they're unworthy objects of your trust. 
We are unworthy objects of, of trust. We cannot provide what only God was meant to provide. Uh, and so it's bound to fail. Verse 6, he says that he is like a shrub in the desert. Like a shrub in the desert. I'm guessing none of you imagined a shrub in the desert at the beginning. hope that wasn't too silly. But uh, it doesn't exactly cry out flourishing. Lively. It doesn't even sound alive. It says, he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Uh, not exactly prime vacation destination. I'd like to go to an uninhabited salt land next summer for our family vacation. No, it, it's, it shall not see any good come. Listen to these dramatic statements that it's describing. This is true in life. A life built on the fear of man, a life lived for other people, will ultimately be discouraging, unfulfilling, frustrating, and most importantly, displeasing to God. But a truly joyful, God-honoring, flourishing life is not built on the fear of man. Okay, so that hopefully sets the stage for the negative of what we're going to talk about. But we also want to spend some time talking about the alternative. The fear of the Lord is a blessing. Fear of the Lord is a blessing. And this is really the main thing that I hope we come away with from this week together. Not all the ways that the fear of man can lead you away, as much as to show you what God has called you to, which is the opposite of fearing man, which is fearing the Lord. Rather than making people ultimate, we rest in God as ultimate. Let's read again what it says. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And so... Listen to all the all the contrasts between these two pictures, right? You've got a shrub versus a tree. <laughs> You've got a parched desert versus running water. Uninhabited salt land, <laughs> like sweet river spots with like growing tons of green leaves, bearing fruit constantly, unfazed by drought. It could survive in California, no problem with all of our droughts. So when we read this, we, we picture, I picture like grand oak or like a sequoia or redwood or something. This large tree that has weathered time, well-rooted, well-rooted in the knowledge of God, rich in wisdom, a life rich in wisdom, rich in love, living with God as our trust, living to love others rather than to be loved by others. So this image from Jeremiah of being rooted is what we're here to talk about. That's the tree, like rooted in by the stream. Uh, if you're familiar with Psalm chapter one, uh, we can we can jump there real quick. Psalm chapter one. Psalm one says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked." nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we have this a similar image, right, between Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. These are connected. Uh, the, the image in Jeremiah, this, this tree, is the image that I hope we come away with. We can choose to be a decrepit bush or a grand oak. All right, you choose. Which, which life do you want? Um, and what we add from Psalm 1 is that a bit of a window into how, how we do this. And it's they're related. In Jeremiah, he said, it's the one who trusts in the Lord. And here in Psalm 1, it says, it's the one who, who meditates on God's law day and night, a life that is immersed in God's word. In God's word, we see who he is, we see who we are, and we, we put our trust in him, we walk in his ways. And if I can ask, if I can skip a bit ahead and ask you a question, what is the Bible really about? Or who is the Bible really about? Talk to me. Jesus. Thank you. It's all about Jesus. Um, all of God's word is ultimately about Christ. When we come to know God in the Bible, the one that we see is Jesus. He is God in human flesh. We find that the Bible is not about rules. It's not what it's about. It is about not just rules for us to follow. The, the point of the Bible is that Christ followed all the rules in our place. The point of the Bible is not just that we sinned and are hopeless, but that we sinned and God is merciful. The message of the Bible is not be good so that God will bless you and you'll be a, a healthy tree, but look how and see how amazing God's love is in the gospel, in Christ. Revere him. Be in awe of him. Love him. He is worthy of all of your allegiance, all of your trusts. The, the thing that we are rooted in is not our wisdom. The thing that we're rooted in is not our good decisions to follow God's word. The thing that we're rooted in that secures us in life is Christ, is his love for us. Okay, let's jump to Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll look at this passage more later in the week, but we can read it quickly now. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that, verse 17, so that you may Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, wow. Filled with all the fullness of God is like the final destination. That sounds amazing. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But how does that happen? By being rooted and grounded in, in love, in his love for us. So we've got these two images, right? Rooted plus grounded. Just like roots provide stability to a tree, they, they provide life to a tree, 
Just like the foundation supports and directs the direction of the whole building, so too God's immeasurable love in Christ provides stability and life, vitality, direction to life for us. Colossians 2, verse 6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. So this is something that's true of us who have believed in Christ, but it's also something that can grow. It's talking about a present reality for people who have trusted in Jesus, but also it's a call for us to grow in this. Um, it can be more and more true about us. John 15 is another passage that we'll be thinking about a number of times together. But John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's connected to him. It's being rooted in him. Does that make sense? So Jesus friends, is the answer to all of our fears. Jesus, the Sunday school answer, is the right answer to all of our fears. Shame. My sin is real. I've done shameful things. But I don't need to hide them. Uh, I have nothing to prove. My sin has been cast away because Jesus died for me. Rejection. I am not just forgiven, I am also adopted into God's family. I do not need praise from people. I don't need acceptance from people. God alone deserves praise, and he will never reject me. Jesus indwells me by his Spirit. I'm never alone. Threat. Also, this life that we live now is real, and it's precious. But it is not everything. People may hurt me, but... One day, God will grant me life eternal because Jesus rose from the dead for me. And so the rest of the week, I hope to try to help us to flesh this out. What is God's love that we're rooted in? What does it mean and what does it look like to be rooted in his love? We want to shift our perspective from centering on other people and being dominated by the question, what do they think of me? What will they think of me? To instead think about God's view of us in Christ. We want to instead ask the question, what does God think of me? So we're going to walk through a few different ways, six different ways that God thinks of us. Okay? So Jeremiah gives us two choices. You can look to man or you can look to the Lord. You can be a withering shrub or a flourishing tree. And you get to choose. Living in the fear of man, pleasing people, is the path to a cursed life. And what Jeremiah is saying is we don't just need a few tweaks. There's not like this one cool trick that will just add to your life. Uh, we don't need some, some help, some encouragement only. He says we've got it flipped upside down. You're doing it wrong. We've got it all upside down. Um, the only way to truly live is to be connected to the vine that is Jesus, to have roots that are sunk deep into the love of God in Christ. And it will free you, friends. It frees us from the instability. Being rooted in God's love frees us from the curse 
an instability of living under the fear of man, and it enables us to flourish living to love other people rather than to be loved. May God be pleased to do that work in our hearts this week. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this word from Jeremiah. We thank you, God, for the warning of the curse upon living in fear of people, putting people in the place of you. We ask, God, that as we we approach this topic, you would help us to do so with a humble heart, with an open mind, and help us to turn, not away from you, but towards you in Christ, and to see how amazing your love towards us, how amazing is your love toward us in the gospel. And we ask for your blessing upon this week, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.